we all come to our own feelings and conclusions by how we were raised and what happened in our lives and you gotta meet people where they are and try and have a lot of compassion for where they're coming from. This is The Impetus, a podcast that meets people where they are. I'm Kyle Garrett, and that was Haley Garrett. She's our first guest and someone I think kind of perfectly embodies what this podcast is going to be all about. She's a vintage seller, she's a birth doula, and also full disclosure, she's my sister. Most importantly though, she's someone who I think is um, constantly in forward motion. She's always evolving. and She's been on a really cool path over the last couple years. So I think after listening to her, you'll probably agree that she is an awesome first guest. So why are we calling this the impetus? Well, first of all, it's really hard to come up with a good podcast name that isn't either already taken or so obscure and pretentious that you have to take five minutes blathering just to try to explain the concept. And I'm not really exaggerating when I say that. Um, One idea I had was to call this thing tessellations, uh, which is either mosaic art or a mathematical concept where you create an analog of something in one dimension in the next dimension up, like using a square to create a cube or a cube to create a tesseract, which is a four-dimensional cube, whatever that means. And uh, I was thinking of myself or really any person in general as this thing to extrapolate from and all the people in our lives is our own personal tessellated analogs, you know, something bigger than me or you or any one person. And yeah, So now I'm sure you can see why that's not my title. It's just way too much information. But that idea of people in my life adding such, you know, depth and dimension to my existence is still what's really at the core of this thing and why I wanted to do it. And I've spent the last couple of years so focused on the negative, you know, toxic political landscape. And I've been hemming and hawing at any opportunity, whether that's Facebook or Twitter or dinner, trying to get these Trumpian Make America Great Again family and friends that I have. And I've got a lot to see him and his administration um, for what they are. And really, it's just been futile. So instead of continuing to highlight this negativity, I'm trying to pour whatever that energy was into something that's more about creating positive forward momentum, hopefully. And so that's the impetus for this podcast. And so the name's inspired by that. And, you know, while the name of the show is the impetus, the title And the notion of an impetus at all really is kind of a red herring to me. There isn't much that happens to us that has some singular origin that you can clearly define. It's a chain of experiences. It's super nebulous. And so it's those stories we're going to explore. Some will be serious. um, Some will be light and funny. And some will be, I don't know. Um, Really, anyone can be a guest because everyone is super interesting. So we'll see. And Haley's story has a bit of everything. And as an added bonus, recording the first episode with my sister is also a nice way of easing into something that, honestly, I wasn't totally prepared for. So Haley, thanks for being on. Happy to be um, your easy first podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Er. (laughs) Um, What podcast do you listen to? Um, I listen to a lot of birth podcasts, The Birth Hour to raise doula questions podcast, birthful podcast. Then we got a little Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. That's great. I love NPR that one. NPR politics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so that's pretty doula heavy. Yeah. Why? <laughs> because I am a birth doula. Why did you want to become a doula? And what was it that sort of got you interested in it? It's like a spider web, sort of, (laughs) a little bit. So it all began truly, probably, when I was a child and I had a learning disability. And I haven't really said this, I talk about it in my mastermind group. It's great. Um, It's great you had a disability. Yeah, (laughs) it's great to talk about this factor. Well, after doing a lot of internal research, I'm like, yeah, that makes some sense now. And then that led into me not knowing what I wanted to do for a living and not feeling very confident in doing anything, sort of. And so I had many jobs that 
I was not passionate about or even really interested in. Um, and then fast forward to me getting married and my husband having a brain injury, which he's fine now. Well, let's let's pause there. Okay. Let's 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 give some more context to that. You can't just fa- you, that's you can't yada yada that situation. Um, so you got married when? August two thousand twelve. Okay, and you guys had been together how long before that? We've been together for nine years. Nine years, yeah. coming up on ten. Mm-hmm. And then the the brain injury. Walk me through that if you don't mind. Yeah, so James was skateboarding and he happened to get the wobbles, which I guess is a skateboarding term. And um, he doesn't remember what happened, but he fell and hit his head on uh, the concrete or street. He had a skull fracture and um, bleeding in the frontal lobe. And... um, Yeah, there's still some residual uh, things that like probably won't be fixed. Like he doesn't have a smell anymore because that's a a common thing when you have a head injury. Your little, I guess, I don't know if it's a nerve or whatever in your in your nose breaks, and sometimes it doesn't recover. When someone has a head injury, it can sometimes mess with their personality and obviously just recovering from an accident can be stressful and so for both uh, of you yeah for both of us so and it's a different kind of stress for each person it just kind of all was too much for a little bit and anyways in therapy it just was super helpful so pro therapy and I started questioning what I was doing for a living and that life can be short. And I really, really thought it was the time to find a job that made me happy. And what were you doing at the time? I was working in an office as an administrative assistant, which actually happened to be a really great company to work for but it was not fulfilling. And it's all tied back to wanting to be more fulfilled. Yes. And so how do you even start something like that? How do you start a journey like that? What's Um, the first step you take? Yeah, so you go to therapy and you talk about it. (laughs) And then um, you start thinking what you're good at or what you're interested in and letting go of limiting beliefs, which go back to learning disabilities and having a hard time with school back in the day. Um, So then I'm like, you know what? This whole thing is kind of empowering and I want to empower women. And I want to learn about women and myself. And so I thought, why don't you look for something in women's advocacy. Maybe look at some nonprofits or organizations that you think are doing good things. I was realizing like I wanted more community and women friends and like more meaningful relationships. And I just kind of thought women were the place to go for that. So I, you know, looked for jobs in that realm and realize that for my skill set, it was a lot of desk jobs again, and not really what I was thinking I wanted, which was more hands-on in the community, building relationships. Um, And so I was at a standstill a little bit, like let's rethink this, how's this gonna work? And, The whole time I was working, I was commuting from Oakland to San Francisco and listening to podcasts every morning and at least two to three to four a day (laughs) during work. (laughs) Great for the office. (laughs) We're gonna make sure no one, you still work there a little bit, right? Yes. Let's let's make sure no one hears this. Right, I still do my job, I just uh, listen to podcasts. Well, it's probably one of those things where you can can do both, right? I can do both. You can listen to a podcast and still do your work. Yeah, okay. and just might catch me crying in the middle of 
something. Who hasn't cried at work? Podcasts are emotional sometimes. Of course, yeah. Yeah. So, um, I heard about a doula on a podcast that I was listening to. Um, and then I thought that was pretty interesting, pretty cool. And then I heard the same doula, which is Erica Chitty Cohen. She's amazing on another podcast. And on that one, it said that she had taken her training in San Francisco at Natural Resources. And so I checked their class schedule. It was coming in a month. And I signed up for it just to see if that's something I'd be interested in or maybe what it might lead to in the future. Then I took the training and it was amazing. I had a midwife as a teacher and a um, lactation consultant, uh, labor and delivery nurse at a hospital. So we got two points of views and I found my community that I was looking for, kind of that I didn't even know existed, how cool it could be to find women who um, are just interested in the same things and like similar empathic personalities as well. Well, what is it like to put energy into a good place? I mean, how does that feel for you? I feel like, like that's the only way to be, sort of. I think that I was listening to all the things about Trump or the Republicans or let's just say Trump supporters because not all Republicans are Trump supporters, yeah, even if yeah. they seem like Hashtag it. not all men, hashtag not all Republicans, <laughs> hashtag, but I mean like enough where it's problematic, <laughs> yes, right? Yes, yes, yeah. And to just try and focus on the positives so that you still have the energy to put positive, thoughtful, empathetic, compassionate, ways of connecting with people. It's, that's what's important. I don't really care what Trump tweets because he's going down at some point. Fuck yeah. <laughs> I'll drink to that. We're just drinking coffee here though. Yeah. By the way, this podcast is brought to you by coffee. Coffee. A pot of coffee. Um, so, all right. Training is great and like, you know, getting an education around what you want to do is awesome and a perfect first step. Mm -hmm. But how did you actually start doula-ing? What's the right, uh, what's the right verb? <laughs> well, here's another thing too about why um, the training felt right for me is because I actually felt so interested finally in something mm. and it gave me ways to learn. And I found a way to like start educating myself again and feeling capable. Yeah. And so you hadn't, it was like this thing, this like moment where finally you had found something that you felt like you could be really good at. Mm hmm. You feel super competent, I guess, right? Like, no. No. I would not say you feel so competent. So after training, you're not competent yet because you really haven't done it. It's all abstract at this point. Yeah. yeah. It's abstract. I had never seen a birth uh -huh. before. Um, I finished my training in October of 2016. So we get done with the training and we're all like, okay, super excited about this, but have no fucking clue what to do. Like there's many caveats in birth and are we really prepared for whatever might come? But with every experienced doula, they just say, go and do your first birth and you'll figure it out. And I attended my first birth on January 4th. So I became a true doula on January 4th. And when you were doing that, was that like on your own or were you shadowing a doula? Is that the right word, shadowing? Yeah, shadowing. I did shadow a doula, but the first birth was on my own. Um, it was an induction. I took the bus and I was reading up on my birth partner by Penny Simpkins and gearing up for whatever I thought was going to happen. And I walk into the hospital. It's nighttime. You say hello to the lobby person 
Um, and then you like walk down the hall and it's a little, to me, eerie, quiet, um, with maybe a doctor or two passing by and you wonder what they just saw because they're in their scrubs. So they maybe just had yeah. surgery. And then you get to the elevators. You get like that nervous, or I get like a nervous energy and take a big deep breath and let go of it. And I think that um, the more births you do, the less you feel that way. But it is also very like personal, um, heavy, exciting job. And like, I can imagine, and I think I probably do it with every birth, is letting go of all the things that you think you can't do and know that you can do it and just like psyching yourself up for, um, I guess just saying like, whatever you do is gonna be better than not being there. And that uh, the biggest thing is it's not your birth, like it's never a doula's birth. So just being open to whatever they need and just try and go into the room ready to be there for whatever is happening and for whatever they're going to need. What happens when you get into the room with Amy and Wes? Yeah, I get into the room and I'm super nervous. And there's, they're in the room and there's a nurse in there. And Amy and Wes are happy to see me and I'm happy to see them. And then, you know, it's kind of, it's a little different than I thought because it's like, there's nothing happening really. You know, like, okay, here, we're gonna put you, we started Pitocin, okay, cool. And then we sit and watch like a TV show together. What did you watch? It was like The Simpsons, or Friends, or something like that. And then I'm like, so this is, <laughs> What birth is? <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's like this thing that you built up and then it's just, when it's going on, it sort of is normal. Yeah. And I'm like, am I being a good doula? Is this what doulas do? Should I be like doing something productive to like get it going? And then I think I remember like just to be present because there's really nothing that needs to be done right now. Um, it's gonna probably be a long induction and sleep is gonna be the best for everyone because tomorrow is gonna be when we all need our energy. So, so we all go to bed. And when you're out there in the lobby, is there other folks out there sleeping too or are you kind of on your own? I was on my own. There was a janitor that said hi. <laughs> And I think he even turned off the light, which was super nice. It's like a thoughtful, you know, it's kind of like it's eerie, but then sometimes there's people who are looking out for each other. And it's like a nice reminder of humanity at its best. And so the next morning you wake up. 6.30, I had been sitting in the waiting room a little bit, kind of wondering if I should go in there because I like don't know my what I'm supposed to do as a doula. Do I wait? for them to come out or do I go in or am I gonna interrupt them if they're sleeping? And I see Wes and he walks down the hallway and he's got some coffee and he's like, Amy's up, why don't you come in? And I'm like, Phew. good. Then I think we just chill for a little bit more. I remember at one point Amy's and Wes's parents came and her sister and her sister's husband and all Wes's family. And um, they went and grabbed us all sandwiches. And that was cool because like, it felt like a, another community being a part of something. And so we ate. And then I think a little bit after that, Amy started feeling contractions more. 
So I started bringing out my dualist stuff, you know? I was like, okay, why don't you try these combs that I heard were good for acupressure points and like something to focus on besides your contractions. And that's when I started trying to get her into different positions, help gravity uh, or let gravity help the process. They had her on a pretty high count of Pitocin and Pitocin contractions are way more intense than a contraction without synthetic drugs. And she just, it's like it never phased her. It's usually, you know, if you have Pitocin, it gets so intense that you need, you want an epidural because they're so intense that it's unbearable. And Amy just never had that. She just worked through them really well. She's a badass and like a champion and super grounded and powerful. And then I was like, oh my God, women are so amazing. I was impressed and confused <laughs> from what I had been told. I'm like, wait, this doesn't make, this doesn't add up. And it kind of was confusing because I'm like, is anything happening? Maybe it's gonna be like four days. Like maybe it's gonna be a crazy long labor because she's not reacting in the way that I thought someone in labor would react. So it was all kind of breaking down these assumptions, which is awesome because I think that's what a lot of this work is, is like just slapping you in the face every time you have an assumption breaks it down for you and it's humbling as fuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and seeing Wes too as her partner, um, like obviously it was hard for him when she actually started showing signs of like that things were hurting um, and getting more intense. Like he was, you could tell it was hard, but that like, he wasn't afraid or giving up or feeling like he wasn't letting any of his feelings um, deter him from like just being there for her. Like she and Wes walked down the hall um, and stopped at every contraction and they worked together with it. Amy leaned on Wes's shoulder through contractions and I was able to take some pictures, which was really sweet. And that's another thing doulas can do is like take some pretty memorable pictures. And they walked towards the waiting room and all their family was like in the windows. <laughs> that was really cute. <laughs> it's an emotional process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was really sweet. They were all there for them. And then went back into the room and it started getting more intense. And that was the time where Amy really needed to uh, center and ground in and just like work through them. But even then she was just really inward you know some people are vocal some people are quiet and and internal about it and she happened to be internal about it so you could tell by watching her that like it was very intense but that she was just getting through it i shut just focused and with a little bit of pain uh, she was on a birth ball and um, Wes was behind her holding her shoulders and kind of making sure she wasn't going to fall on it, kind of secure. And I was sitting 
in front of her and she had her one hand on the bed and she was doing a corkscrew move. So to open up the hips and help baby rotate down. And at one point her head dropped. <laughs> I said, did you just fall asleep? And she said, yes. <laughs> you can fall asleep you during this? You can fall asleep. I mean, it's tiring. It was a long labor and it's exhausting. And a contraction happens and you have that relief. Um, a lot of people fall asleep in between contractions. And she, and so it was just a head bob, like whoop. Um, and we all kind of laughed a little bit. And then all of a sudden things shifted. She got a little vocal and I could feel um, her pushing. I was on one side of the bed and Wes was on the other side of the bed and she was vocalizing and I had my hand on her back and I could feel her push. And then I asked, did you just push? And she said, I think so. <laughs> and um, I remember because of my training, I thought, well, I just want to let her do this a little bit on her own without calling anyone in yet. Cause it doesn't mean the baby's just like gonna come out out of nowhere. Um, it just meant that things were happening in more of that direction. Maybe she had just gone through transition, which was the, the vocalizing. And, um, but I saw Wes's face and he, he was worried. And like, I mean, you could just see what I thought was a little bit of panic, like do something. And um, because I was a new doula, I wasn't confident in just saying, let's do a couple minutes, you know, let the baby come down on its own. The birth always gets fuzzy for me. I can't remember if I hit the call button and said she's pushing, we think she's pushing, or if I walked out and told the nurse. Once things start, happening. I'm not paying attention to time anymore. Um, but so then the nurse came and she checked her and she said, okay, yeah, it's, it seems like you're ready. And then of course all the nurses come in and kind of get the room set up for the pushing phase and start coaching her how to push. Um, it's graphic, but they, you know, are making sure that with each push, they're checking to see if the head's coming down or you know where what station the baby's at trying to get an idea for when to call the doctor and then they you know there's called coach pushing which is okay now i want you to when a contraction comes hold your breath one two three and i'm going to count to ten five, six seven and you you can do it ten push it feels very intense. All hands are on deck. Um, the moment has finally come. And I mean, Amy can't see it, but it's me and Wes's first time ever seeing a baby <laughs> come into the world. And the nurse is like, oh, there's the head. And so we both look and I'm like, that's a head? That doesn't, how's that a head, you know, because it just doesn't look like a baby's head at that point. And yeah, she, she's still just being a total badass. And, you know, she pushes for a while. I think it was about an hour to an hour and 20 minutes. And then finally baby's crowning and then baby comes out. And she's perfect. Just healthy and like pink and sweet. And I mean, when Pepper was born, I felt almost like there is no feeling for it. Probably because it was the first birth ever and it's people that I knew. It's like magic, sort of. Like just pure excitement 
and loves and with astonishment just seeing everybody else so excited like like always seeing the parents see their baby for the first time is the coolest thing ever <laughs> like seeing a baby born is super awesome but then just seeing um seeing the emotions and like pure joy that the parents uh witnessing that for the first time every time because it's new for every birth even if it's like a second time parent like it's still a baby and they're a new human to love and then usually it's like just everybody is so happy and elated and joyful like nurses and doctors and at least for me right now it's like a pure joy for them for the parents it's mm -hmm. not i mean i do get the the happiness and the joy and the excitement but it's for the people and their new little baby and family and I just like get to witness it it's like a witnessing joy I don't even know if that's <laughs> a thing and yeah I always cry <laughs> for the most part <laughs> <laughs> yeah I figured as much I mean birth is amazing like it's just Really? People just want support and encouragement and someone to be there for them. And Amy's super tired. Like, she's like, oh my God, you worked really hard and you're done. Like, you birthed a baby. And it's like, close your eyes and take a few deep breaths for yourself and then check your baby. But yeah, I didn't realize just how exhausting it would be or can be. It's not always, but some labors are long and exhausting. Um, I told Amy this before and I stick to it still after seeing many other births. She was the champion of champion birthers. She made it super fucking easy on me. And- Is that good or bad for your first birth? I you... was super like, what the hell, Amy? Like, I <laughs> am gonna see someone else and be like, why are you doing that? My first birth was so easy, what is... Yeah. <laughs> what? It actually made me kind of nervous, like, yeah. no joke. I was like, what am I gonna do? Like, I know other births are not gonna be like this. And so I hired a experienced doula that I could shadow and it, she has a program and um, I shadowed three births with her, which was helpful for me. Um, what were those like? I got to experience that every birth is different and there's unexpected turns in each births, good and bad, or good and intense. I was happy to witness another doula and see how she reacted in some situations. And it really informed the way that I will act or I, I'll take on an experience. Meaning like she showed you how to be adaptable or? Yeah, adaptable and how to stay calm in a very stressful situation. And mm. that doulas are not the fixers of everything, yeah. um, which I think it's really easy to take on and to try and be. And it was a good reminder at every birth that you're not the fixer, you're there to support and to comfort and to just hold space sometimes for whatever's happening. And historically, women have been like gathering around other women and helping them birth and then take care of all their babies. Um, 
Birth used to be such a communal experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, parenting too. The hospital environment is good because it makes giving birth more safe and healthy, right? Or, ooh, I get a look. <laughs> okay, so is that a, I'm, I have misconceptions. Oh, this is a big thing to uh, talk about. Yes, hospitals, if something goes wrong, super happy that you're there and that they've come up with safe ways to do cesarean birth or resuscitate babies. But sometimes, because birth has become so medicalized and hospitals are for-profit, policies and procedures interfere with the birth and labor process and can sometimes change the trajectory of how a birth may go. What do you mean by that? Labor and birth can take a long time. And if a woman is left to go through the process, whether at the hospital, at a birth center, or at home, for the most part, it goes the way it needs to. Um, when you go to the hospital, and say you go in early labor, Okay. There's a dog here. If you're hearing a dog, there's a doggy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and when you go in, say when you go into the hospital, if you go in early labor, they have policies where they need to be doing something for you or you kind of don't need to be there. Um, and so they offer things or they suggest things to speed up the birth process but not because it's necessary, but because it's convenient for them. Or just even the, all the things, like I just found out that if they need to cut off a person's wedding ring, they can charge for that. Because like, of swelling? Yeah, because yeah. of swelling. Okay. Sometimes yeah, there's all these things you don't even think about. Yeah, and all these little things that add up. Um, yeah, it's I, I'd say that Hospitals are great when they're absolutely necessary, um, but a lot of the things that they offer or suggest are not always safest for a, per a birthing person. That's good to know. I mean, I, I think we all have these like preconceived notions of how this stuff goes. Yeah. So talking to someone who's actually been in the room a number of times is really fascinating for me. And also, I think this is a good sort of segue to talk about why a doula is important. Why would someone want to have a doula? Yeah, so someone would want to have a doula because if you've never given birth, it's pretty nice to have someone who has seen it more than you and someone who has your best interest and, and knows what you want for your birth and who is going to consistently be there for you. Whereas nurses, doctors, midwives, are there to make sure that you and your baby are safe and that physiologically everything is going mm -hmm. as it should be. Yeah, that was, that was something I took away from those podcasts you sent me um, was that notion that a doula is there for you throughout and nurses, you know, have shifts. Yeah. And during the course of your labor, you may see two, three, four nurses, mm -hmm. all different. Even just, I think, when you're in the hospital and a doctor or nurse comes and gives you a suggestion or offers you something, it can feel like you need to give them an answer right away. Or if they're suggesting it, then it must mean that it's a, necess a necessity. Like they're leading you. They're leading you, yeah. And a doula, um, is not there to make decisions for you, but is there to remind you that you have time and that it's your your body, your birth, um, and that a simple, can we have 10 minutes to think about this? Or a reminder to um, ask, why they're offering this to you. What are the risks? What are the benefits of it? Um, 
Because a woman who's in labor isn't necessarily thinking. Um, they're they're working on their they're doing labor. Their thing. Yeah. They're, so and they shouldn't be thinking about all that. Of course, stuff. and so that's. I know that you said you know the the reason for the distinction of calling yourself a birth doula is because that's your main role mm -hmm. is to be there during the birth. Yeah. But that's not your process, right? You are with women during the prenatal phase. Mm -hmm. When do you come in and how does that inform your ability to be their advocate in the room when they're in labor? Yeah, so people usually start looking for a doula at like the 27, 28, sometimes 30 week mark. Once you decide to work together, you um, usually have two prenatals, which are um, visits that we're offering education and information and also building a relationship to so that I as their doula know what they want and what their preferences are, um, answering any questions they may have, um, opening new possibilities and trying to keep them curious about their options. And that way, when labor does start, I have a really good idea of what they want um, when we get to the hospital and can kind of help them get what they want. I mean, birth just happens when it happens, right? So mm -hmm. what's, you're just ready to go when, when you are on the hook to be someone's doula? Yeah. You got the phone up loud all the time. <laughs> what's that like? Um, so I am in a doula partnership and I do have to shout out to doula partnerships. They're awesome. Doula life, as I'll get into, is intense and being on call for four weeks can be slightly brutal because it is, someone might text you at 2 a.m. So then we each are on call for a week at a time and doulas are usually on call two weeks before the due date until the baby's born, which is usually two weeks after the due date. Um, and in that time, you get your game face on, you have your snacks ready in the fridge, <laughs> you have your your bone broth in the fridge ready for, you know, whatever um, your client's going to need. What is that, is bone broth like <laughs> a big thing mm. for? No, I mean, it's just, you want to keep, so sometimes um, people aren't hungry, mm -hmm. and but they need their, their protein and their food for endurance because it's like a marathon. It can be like a marathon. So you want to make sure that they're eating um, and drinking lots of fluids and not just water. It's like um, electro, things with electrolytes. So yeah, bone broth. What if they're a vegan? Yeah, and yeah, if they're if vegan or vegetarian, then we do something else, but just saying you got okay. all your things ready and they're not just for them you need yeah. doula snacks yeah doula snacks themselves it's like you got to have it all ready and you do have your phone ready and you're just kind of within mm. an hour distance um at all times until they call and birth is usually not it's not like you get a call and they're like, oh my God, I'm going to the hospital right now. Although, of course, that does happen sometimes. You usually have days or a day in advance to know, you know, like contractions are coming on, um, mucus plugs are coming out, waters break, and then you have at least a couple hours to a few days um, to get ready. Um, and then when someone actually is ready to have you come join them, um, if you can labor at your house as long as possible, that's one way to avoid inter unwanted interventions. And so having a doula there to let you know that the sensations, the feelings, the, the throwing up is all normal, you know, unless it's not, but we can usually tell when it's not normal. Um, and reassuring them that this is just labor and that they're okay and that you labor as long as possible at home 
and then you go to the hospital to have the baby. Um, yeah, and that's an, an ideal scenario because there's inductions and planned cesareans and other things that just happen that you have to start labor at a hospital and doulas can be there too to try and make it as comfortable and as pleasant as possible. And how many births have you done since your first one? I've done 11 births total. Total. And I have three coming up. Do you feel more comfortable now? Yeah, the more births you do, the more confident you get. And I, like, I'm not trying to be negative, but one birth can throw you off a little bit too. It's like you have maybe four good births that were, you know, semi-easy, and then you have one that was pretty complicated and can kind of make you feel inadequate um, and then you got to keep going and you just keep doing births and know that you must, we can't control births. What do you get from helping bring babies into the world? Like if you, if you endure some trauma from a, I don't want to say bad birth, but like a birth that's tough and just sort of a difficult experience, what makes you want to keep doing it? I think I keep going back to the work because it's so meaningful. And to work through a birthing experience with the people is always rewarding and life-affirming. And even taking away if I thought it was difficult and seeing how they see something or they felt something different. Just being reminded that people get through difficult things is really inspiring. And what do you think being a doula looks like for you going forward? What are your aspirations? What do you want to do with it? Well, becoming a doula and being more involved in the birth work world, it's opened me up to many new things um, and different ways of seeing um, things. And one of those is the social injustices that happen with birthing people or people with reproductive organs. And at the moment, just being aware and educating myself and eventually figuring out how I can help in a bigger way. But I think for now, educating myself and being more outspoken about the injustices, finding ways that feel good to both parties, um, how to be a better ally what I'm learning is there is a huge disparity between the outcomes um, of babies of color. So mostly um, black babies versus white babies. What are the outcomes we're talking about? We're talking about prematurity. We're talking about infant mortality. Um, we're talking about the care that black women and black families get in the hospital. So it's systemic in some uh, sense. 100%, yes. Yeah. How can you make a difference now and, and eventually? I mean, I think just talking about it, saying something when you see something that is not okay, whether it's uh, at a hospital or with your friends or with your family, correcting people, making people more aware of what is happening and what you are learning or what I am learning and what I'm seeing. When someone asks me for a referral, like offer not just your white doula friends or your white midwife friends, like offer women of color, black women, black doulas, and like let them have a voice and give more opportunities to people that haven't had opportunities that they deserve. And in your own practice, 
What do you think that would look like in the future? I mean, it's the right now, maybe I'm not thinking big picture, but it's like even the little things like writing blurbs on my website about statistics or letting clients know a little bit more of my views, being more involved in um, social justice. I never understood politics and even if I tried I couldn't like remember the house and the senate and the other layers of politics and so um it was really hard to like every time I think I understood one thing then I learned another thing and then it just became, it was always so confusing and frustrating and felt like the people in power always got what they wanted from like my, 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 like from me not knowing and just feeling that way. I mean, it's complicated. Yeah. Even if you're, you know, well, well studied on it, it's really difficult to follow. Yeah. Almost by design, it seems. Oh, well, I think... I'm with you on that. I changed my point of view when I realized that some people are just feelers and if I feel that it's wrong, that's my own opinion and I can voice it. I think just with age and with just shit that happens in life, like I'm more open to being wrong and to hearing other people's points of view and listening to them and even if I um, don't agree with them like we all come to our own feelings and conclusions by how we were raised and what happened in our lives and um, you gotta meet people where they are and just try and have a lot of compassion for where they're coming from and I guess that's also what I try and do for myself um, and I think feeling that way has allowed me to uh, explore my curiosity about politics and even the little things like calling your reps um, or using the <laughs> resist pot um, and doing, you know, the little things. And like, whatever you do, if you're doing something, it's better than nothing. It seems like your whole thing, like whether it's being a doula, whether it's politics, has been a result of this idea of like, just instead of looking at the water, getting in it. Mm, yeah, totally. And it's like, yeah, I think when uh, I started to do that, I you break these walls that you've had, that you've put these barriers up in front of you, and you just walk over, walk over, jump over them, and you realize that like shit's not as scary as you thought it was, and that everyone has barriers, and you're all kind of the same, but you're different, and it just makes things easier when you can see that you're all just trying to get through life. Maybe differently, but that's what we're all doing. And like, it's just easier to do things when you're not so hard on yourself. <laughs> I don't know if it matters, but, um, but the part of like having a hard time in school and realizing that what was helpful was when people had patience and compassion for, you know, what I was going through or what I didn't understand. And I think that has led me into or ties into why I'm a doula and what draws me to it is because that's what I know people need in labor and birth 
and new parenting and parenting when kids are old is the patience and the compassion and the empathy for what they're going through. And I figured that out and it's kind of like a full circle in a way. That's it. And so that's what this is for you in a lot of ways. Paying yeah. that compassion forward somehow. Yeah, I think maybe. so. Or synthesizing it in ways that maybe you feel like you didn't quite get enough of. I think that's more it. Yeah. Yeah. I find your path, uh, especially over the last few years, very inspiring to me and I, I'm like really proud of you. So thanks for being on. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being my first guest. Thank you. I hope it was all right. It was great. Um, I just want to ask you a couple of things uh, to close it out. What rounds you out as a person? What are the things that make you more full? Mm. What rounds me out? Well, first I think everything has to come with, from within you, is what I'm learning. So, to have a lot of compassion for myself makes things easier. Then James, my husband, he's the yin to my yang. Like we're kind of opposite, but similar. And so he balances me out if I'm getting wily, emotionally or whatnot. And having a clean house is pretty fucking great. I think sometimes going home to the city and finding treasures at estate sales or thrift stores. <laughs> And now having a career or a job, whatever it is, um, that gives me a sense of purpose and fulfillment. You already said James, so let's not count him for this answer. <laughs> but uh, tell me three people in your life that add dimension to you. Mm. I'm just gonna say it first because she's over there. I think Brimley. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Brimley is your dog. Brimley's a dog. But dogs are people. They are. Dogs are part of our family. Yeah, and she has, she's challenged me because she's a challenging dog. And so I feel like I learn a lot from her. It's almost like parenting, like you learn who you are and like what, um, like how you're reacting to things and like how you're, you're, um, contributing to something. So she definitely adds dimension to my life and myself. Um, can I just say like my whole doula collective friends, people, they just, they're the type of people that you can get deep with. I just have never really been able to do that with anyone. We see vaginas and birth and many other things and we just really aren't afraid to get into whatever and um, that's brought a whole new dynamic into my life and i'll say you because you've always <laughs> given <laughs> uh <laughs> don't do it <laughs> and perspective on things and perspective on things yeah and you've uh, <laughs> Always been there for me, la la la. Well, likewise, for <laughs> sure. Never getting emotional. <laughs> um, and then last thing, what's a piece of art that moved you recently? And that could be book, poem, song, movie, TV show. Just something that moved you and why? It's not new but I rediscovered it recently. I was driving to like an interview or something and it came on the radio. It was the last part of the song and I like couldn't figure it out, but I knew it was something I had known and it was um, This Must Be The Place by 
by Talking Heads. And I like cannot stop listening to it. And it just makes like it feel like everything's gonna be okay. That's it. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, do you think everything's gonna be all right? Uh, yeah, if you have the attitude that it's gonna be all right. Thanks again to Haley Garrett. And that's our first episode. If you are or someone you know is in need of a doula, we've got Haley's contact information in the description of this podcast. You can go to doulamatch.net or just get in touch with Haley. She's got tons of info. Happy to help, I'm sure. Our theme music is composed by Owen Miles. Owen lives in the frozen wilderness up in Alaska. So we really appreciate him taking some time to rev up the generator and send some music down our way. We've got all his information in the description of the podcast as well. And thanks for listening. We'll have another one of these pretty soon, I hope. Unless you all tell me this was total garbage and not worth your time. Talk to you next time. <laughs>